sure as God made green apples, someday the Chicago Cubs are going to be in the World Series, and maybe sooner than we think. Good morning, and welcome to episode 151 of Effectively Wild, the daily podcast from Baseball Perspectives. New York, New York. I am Ben Lindbergh in Long Beach, California. He is Sam Miller, and joining us today to talk about the Cubs from Davenport, Iowa, the town that is blacked out of every MLB TV game, is Colin Wires. Good morning, Colin. Good morning, that's that beyond. And uh, our guest, or Pete Barrett's guest, uh, after Colin's interview, will be Patrick Mooney, the Cubs beat writer for CSNChicago.com. Wait, what's the story about the blackouts? Iowa has about 16 blackouts for MLB.TV. It's Cubs, White Sox, Brewers, Twins, Royals, Cardinals, if I remember correctly. Wow. So basically... Uh, absolutely except the Cardinals. So if none of those teams are playing each other, then uh, six out of 15 games are blacked out every day? Yep. Brutal. It's It's, yeah... But hey, you know, otherwise I couldn't go back and watch archive footage of every single ground ball that uh, Brett Lawley fielded in the shift. So, you know, you make sacrifices. I'm sure Iowa has many other advantages. I'll let you know when I find them. (laughs) Uh, Okay, so it's been now uh, 10 days and counting since the Tony Campana trade. Uh, How are you holding up? And... There any reason to watch the Cubs, uh, a, a campanilous Cubs this season? I, I have to tell you, I nearly wept tears of joy when I saw that he'd been traded. And that was before I saw they got actual live-armed pitchers back for him. Two of them, young, who might actually make the major someday. I, it's the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. How do you explain the cult of Campana? The Cubs, the Cubs have spent years trying to build this really weird low on base percentage, high slugging free agency offense where you get a bunch of old slow players who don't have any plate discipline and can just whop the ball. And so the Cubs haven't had any fast players in like a decade. This led to Cubs fans thinking that Ryan Terrio, of the thrown out on the bases like a nincompoop fame, was a fast player. That Soriano, in his old decrepitude, was still a fast player. And then you get Companion, who is actually a fast player. He's not a good player, but he's a fast one. And so the Cubs fans that have been dying for team speed, to use the, the whole Earl Weaver bit... They have their man. They have Tony Campania. They have someone who can run if you can pinch hit with him because or pinch run with him because he cannot get on base on his own. And I mean they're insane. They're beautifully insane. There are Cubs fans who think that he's Billy Williams fast. I'm not even kidding. How cruel then that he was taken away so soon. Yes, cruel. We'll go with that. Cruel. Yeah, it's terrible, awful, miserable. I. <sighs> okay. Well. I I spent uh I just spent the last fifteen seconds trying to figure out whether Billy Williams was notable for his fastness. So we should just note that you meant Billy Hamilton. 
Yes, yes, right. yes. Why I said Billy Williams, I have but no idea. But he was like Billy Williams in other, in other ways, I'm sure. Yes, the, overall the, productivity. The, the speed of Hamilton, the everything else of, of Williams. <laughs> right. And there's this, there's this beautiful Twitter account called Facebook Cubs, which is nothing but reposts of comments off the Cubs Facebook page. And the day of the t- campaign page, it was this beautiful stream of just invective from Cubs fans who had lost their chosen son. Oh, it was gorgeous. I saw some of that, much of that retweeted on your own, your own timeline. I, yeah, I, I, I have no shame. I, I like to spread good things around. So, Picota, uh, of which you are the primary curator, I think projects the Cubs to make maybe the second largest improvement, something like 16 wins right now, which I think is the second most after the Red Sox. And that is not entirely addition by subtraction from the trade we were just talking about. Uh, the Cubs also did many other things this winter. Are you similarly optimistic? Do you think that they have made strides that large this winter? The 2012 Cubs had one of the worst pitching rotations it's possible to assemble. And, I mean, they had Dempster. And they had most of a season of uh, Garza. And then they had a surprising breakout from Samarja. But they lost Garza halfway through the season. They traded Dempster away. And at the end of the season, it was Samarja and a pile of just flotsam that most major league teams never find themselves having to rely upon. And this year, they've gone out and they fixed the rotation depth. So I think that's a really good sign for them. Not a, you know, make the playoffs good sign or a, you know, win 80 games, good sign, but a good sign, you know, they have pitching depth. Well, if, uh, I mean, I, I think if there were, I, I feel like if the pirates of eight years ago had had their off season, uh, where, you know, they took a pretty terrible team and made some improvements to get them into the high seventies, we might've kind of mocked that team, but with the Cubs, we, uh, sort of assume that they're not doing anything by accident and they're not doing anything, uh, without a plan, do you do you sort of approve of the way that they pursued these improvements this off season? They're 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 going very slow, and the question is is at what point do they think that they need to start picking up the pace a bit? And there's always an open question of these players that they've acquired this off season. How long are they sticking around? You know, because last year at the trade deadline, they were they were willing to trade on anything that wasn't bolted down. Now, the Cubs have several bolts on hand, which is how Alfonso Soriano is sticking around. That's that. That's one of the things that absolutely blows my mind. They found someone that wanted to trade for Soriano. The Cubs actually found a Soriano trade. And Soriano turned it down with his no trade clause. <laughs> I mean, the, the baffling thing is, A, they found a team that wanted Alfonso Soriano, and B... They found the guy who wanted to stay on the Cubs. <laughs> I mean, it's just... It blows your mind on two levels. Do you expect him to make it through this season as a Cub? I'd say so. I mean... 
I don't see how he's any different than he was last year. He's a little older. He's a little slower. If he gets off to a hot start, there might be some renewed interest, but he apparently has a specific idea of what kind of team he'd like to go to if he's traded, and, you know, it's hard enough finding a guy that wants an aging outfielder that can't hit that great. So you mentioned Samarja. Um, I... um wanted to ask you about him because you you refer to it as an open question uh whether he's going to be sort of good or terrible like he had been every year before 2012 and i i feel like there's sort of a a tendency to uh if if a player has a breakout season the first thing you do is look at all the luck indicators and if, if there's luck indicators then you just sort of brush it aside but if it's an improvement in actual skill performance in in samarja's case he cut his walk rate from from 5.3 to 2.9, uh, there's maybe an an, uh, an overwillingness to accept it as real and not just sort of fluctuation. And of course, uh, there are two ways players can fluky break out. One is by uh, getting lucky, and the other is by being better than they really are for a short period of time. So um, you called it an open question. If you kind of had to stake your name on something, would you guess that he's going to be a good pitcher or a bad pitcher, and does his really um, excellent second half mean any more to you than if it had come in the first half and he had had kind of a mediocre second half? I don't look at first half, second half stuff all that much. I don't think it's all that meaningful. As to where I'd put my stake in the ground, I don't think he'll outright suck, which is weird because a few years ago, I think everyone assumed he would outright suck. Um... But I'm not sure I'd go so far as to say I think he'll be good. It's just... We are really not that far removed from when Samarja was a really terrible middle reliever. I mean... And it's it's nice to think that he's, you know, put things together and that this is a new Samarja, but until you see him do it again, you don't know. I remember Rich Hill's breakout season. Oh, I loved Rich Hill. He was basically the left-handed Mark Pryor. And then, you know, all of a sudden, Rich Hill could not locate the strike zone to save his life. You know, baseball does funny things. I think Sam is shocked that any pitcher can ever locate the strike zone in any game. That's true. (laughs) It's hard. (laughs) Baseball is hard. I... I love that scene in the Moneyball trailer. It's like, first base is easy to tell and wash. It's incredibly hard. Everything in baseball is incredibly hard. And just watching these players go out there and do it, sometimes they can do great things that you would never expect of them. And I think it does everybody a disservice to expect them to go right back out there and do it again. He might. That's the thing. He absolutely might. And it's a lot more plausible than it was a year ago. But, you know, there's a huge bar of uncertainty around a guy like that for me. Do you expect anything at this point out of Josh Fitters or Brett Jackson, two kind of prospecty guys who have been hanging around for quite some time now and have yet to prove themselves? No. (laughs) (laughs) The short answer is no. Um... Vitters, I remember seeing Vitters in person at the River Bandits games when the when the Chiefs would be in town, Peoria Chiefs come. 
I live now where uh, the Houston Astros, the way affiliate is, it used to be the Cardinals up until this winter. And so the Cubs, the way affiliate would come by, come into town every few weeks. And so I went out and I saw bitters, and it's a gorgeous swing. It really is. I, I can you can see why scouts love him. He just he hasn't translated it into anything yet, and I think a great sign of where he's at is that the Cubs have no third base options. They really don't. Last year they were they resorted to what Valbuena. I mean, who seriously is one of those players that like when you're playing MLB The Show, the computer just auto generates. He's not a real person. He's he's somebody that comes up in sim mode because you haven't bought the game in five years. Vitter's never even sniffed a chance. You know? Jackson, at some point to be a major league player, you either have to be really, really phenomenal at everything else, or you have to display some meager ability to tell a ball from a strike. You have to. So far, Jackson just has not done that. Um, okay, uh, Starlin Castro, next on the list of notable players. Um, what do you expect, short-term or long-term, I guess? How how good do you think his peak is going to be? He's a guy who's been around for a while already at a really young age and has... I mean, he's, he's still really young. Yes. He is. He's got a lot of room to grow in his bat. The question is, is is how long he's going to stick at shortstop. I, I think his defense is underrated. Now, that doesn't mean I'm saying that it's good, but I think it's underrated. I think he is a better defender at shortstop than most people give him credit for. I think the errors tend to cloud people's perception of him as a fielder too much. I think he's an average, slightly below average shortstop defensively. And, you know... Question is for how many more years? Because, I mean, the aging curve for fielding is pretty much just a downward slope. But, you know, <clears throat> the Cubs don't have a lot of other shortstop options, so they're going to keep him there until either he shows he can't play the position or until someone else shows that they can. And he's going to keep hitting. So he's got about three, four years in the majors right now, and, and his numbers are you know almost identical from year to year uh but that's just you know on the service as a person who has sort of watched him mm-hmm. a lot more do you see a different kind of hitter than he was when he came up is there uh has there been growth that maybe doesn't necessarily show up in the in the in the rawest of numbers uh, i don't really think he's changed a whole lot as a hitter i don't think he has to i think he's i think he's been very good for what he's been and i don't I think the change is going to come as he starts to fill out a bit and he gets more power. But you don't really want to rush that too much either because that's you know going to be a huge sign that you need to start considering where to put him on the field again. You know, there's there's sort of a correlation between what needs to happen for him to become power, a, a, a better power hitter and what's going to cause him to stop being an everyday shortstop. So, you know, you don't need to rush that. You know, he's he's a good player where he is right now. You know he's going to develop into 
into a better player most likely. But you're going to, you know, open up some questions when he starts to fill out and he can't move as fast. Uh, so presumably you were optimistic when when the new regime took over. Um, are you any more or less optimistic than you were at that time? Or are things sort of proceeding along the, the path to contention as you had foreseen them? They've, they've done what they said they would do. They absolutely have. And what they said they would do was a sound plan. Now, is it going to work? <sighs> Baseball, there's a lot of chance in the game. I don't think a lot of people recognize or want to recognize. And Theo and all of them can do everything right and still not, not pull this thing off. But to the extent that you can see what things are happening right now, they're doing the right things. They're, they're developing through the farm. They're trying to build a core, a nucleus of talent that they can, that they can construct a team around. Um, the Cubs from a few years ago were all about strikeout pitching and an offense that can't get on base. And it's a different Cubs team now. And, you know, given the way that the old Cubs team... That said, the old Cubs team did have some success. You know, they did make the playoffs. They came agonizingly close to a series in 03. But they... They allowed themselves to think their window was open a bit longer than it was. And so they mortgaged the future for a present that wasn't there. And so it's going to take some time to get back from that. And we'll see if they can do it. All right. Uh, well, what do you predict that they will do this season? That is the way that we end these things. We ask for win totals and finishes in the division. Well, they'll probably be about last in the Central. I can't see them being... I mean, I can. I mean, there's a chance they get past the Pirates or the Brewers, but not a big one. I, I, I think last is a pretty pretty good guess on where they'll be in the division. Which, you know, given where they were last year, they were saved from that by being in the sixteen division with the Astros. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you can't count on that kind of good fortune twice. And as for wins, I'm going to go with 77.5. Well, 77.5, I guess if I thought they were going to win that many games, I might think that they would beat either the Pirates or the Brewers, possibly. But it'll be close, I guess. I just pulled off the playoff odds report, Ben. (laughs) Yeah, I'm looking at the depth charts and, and those... Three teams are separated by two games, so... Yeah, it's it's kind of crowded there at the bottom of the NL Central. All right, uh, we are done. Thank you, Colin, for coming on. Um, after the intro, you will hear Pete Barrett talking to Patrick Mooney, the Cubs beat writer for CSNChicago.com. Uh, we're done for the week. By your BP annuals, we will be back with our last week of team previews Uh, next week with the NL West. It may still be winter, but baseball prospectus is ready to play ball. Pete Barrett is taking you around the league 
with 30 insiders who cover Major League Baseball. Step into the box. The squeeze is on. And welcome to The Squeeze. Patrick Mooney, Cubs beat reporter for CSN Chicago, joins us to talk Cubs baseball. Patrick, how's life in Mesa, Arizona? Uh, things are going uh, pretty well. It's a long uh, kind of camp down here, but uh, you know the Cubs are keeping us busy with uh, Matt Garza injury updates. Um, and then a couple of these young prospects that they're uh, really high on, Jorge Soler and Javier Baez are getting kind of an extended look down here, and those are probably the, the two big names that Cubs fans are uh, most interested in. Absolutely. Before we get into the prospects, let's talk about the news of the day. Matt Garza threw today from 60 feet. What does this mean, Patrick? Uh, that's a good question. That's probably been the biggest question uh, for this organization for a while now, just in terms of what to do uh, with Matt Garza uh, long-term. Uh, in the short term, uh, today, he kind of struck a little different tone, I felt. Uh, he wasn't making any huge guarantees or anything like that. Uh, but at the same time, he wasn't disappointed. He was, he was encouraged by kind of throwing today in that step. And he kind of left open the possibility uh, that he would open the season on DL. A part of that could just be knowing himself, just his personality, always kind of pedal to the metal. And uh, as he said, you know, he, needed, he needs to ease off a little bit. So uh, manager Dale Swain, uh, didn't want to look that far ahead. He said you know, he thinks he could be ready for the opening week. But uh, really, you have the um, lat strain as well as the elbow injury from last year. Garza says his arm's fine, and that's probably the most important thing. Um, so if there's a snag along the way, he probably you know won't be starting uh, here in early April. But you know they're obviously hoping for the best. Psychologically, Patrick, do you think this could have any effect on Jeff Samarja, him either entering the season as the ace of the Cubs or as the number two starter? Oh, uh, well, I think Samarja has thought of himself as an ace for a long time now. Even you know when he he had a nice season as reliever in uh, 2011, and as soon as Theo Epstein took over, uh, Samarja lobbied for the chance to start. Uh, he wasn't really content in the bullpen. He thought there was a lot more in there. Um, even this winter, while the Cubs, you know, presented the idea of parameters of a long-term extension, uh, Samarja really wasn't too interested because basically he's uh, betting on himself. He believes that he's a front-line starter and that uh, in the end he'll probably get paid like one. Uh, but for now, he's... Uh, He's good friends with Garza. They have two very interesting personalities. They're kind of uh, the alpha dogs uh, in the clubhouse. And right now, um, Samar just hoping that uh, this opening day assignment is uh, settled on the field, not on the training room, as he said. But at this point, it's hard to see him not uh, starting on opening day. Let's stick with the starting rotation for just a little bit longer. Edwin Jackson, of course, got the big deal from the Cubs this offseason. And you mentioned kind of just by looking at his overall record and seeing the contract he got, it really just shows how we evaluate and value pitching these days. Do you think, though, that the Cubs might have overpaid for a number two or three starter at kind of the wrong time? No, I mean, I understand what you're saying. I just think for where the Cubs 
are at now, uh, they really needed some sort of security, the idea of at least someone who can pitch 200 innings, because after this year, they're basically looking at just a margin for question marks for their rotation, just given uh, Garza's status. Um, Travis Wood isn't really locked in yet as a, as a long-term piece. And then they signed a bunch of guys kind of on one-year deals, uh, Scott Feldman, Scott Baker, uh, Villanueva is kind of a swingman uh, on a two-year deal. So for them, uh, Jackson was on the, the right side of 30. Um, he has a very consistent uh, track record the last couple of years, and they liked the idea that he had been through rebuilding processes before. Um, the Rays had that turnaround a couple of years ago. He was a part of that. Uh, he wound up uh, in St. Louis when they got hot. He got a World Series ring there. And then uh, he was kind of at the end of the Nationals building process there in terms of coming on as kind of the new uh, team. You know, he was there for that. So I think they liked just kind of his overall package and that they thought he was you know, a, a pretty safe bet in you know, what's a very difficult area uh, to project free agent pitching. We're talking Cubs baseball with beat writer Patrick Mooney, who covers the team for CSNChicago.com. Pat, you made a lot of good points, and one of them, Theo Epstein said in, in one of your articles, you quoted him saying, you can't really just wait until you're going to contend to go out and add three starters. You have to do it at certain times. And I think Theo has done a good job overall changing what the Cubs are about. Uh, it seems like there, at least from my opinion, there's been a new attitude around the Cubs. When you talk about the Cubs, um, you got some people on that team who, like you said, have been through transitions. You've had people on that team like Nate Scherholz who – won his second ring, World Series ring. Can you just talk about kind of the attitude shift um, and the perception of the Cubs that's changing currently? Yeah, I mean, no doubt. I mean, there was um, – my first year on the beat was uh, 2010, and, um, you know, people forget it seems like ancient history sometimes. Um, you know, the Cubs won back-to-back -back division titles, and in I think in August – first or second week of August in 2009, you know, they were still in first place. So, uh, you know, they were a team. They were a total win-now team. They had a, you know, legendary manager in, in Lou Pinella. Um, there was a lot of anxiety or waiting to see what uh, new, the new ownership group, the Ricketts family, would do uh, with Jim Hendry. Um, so, you know, part of this was inevitable uh, in terms of kind of a changing uh, identity, and uh, you're exactly right. They've brought in a lot of guys who, uh, in terms of free agent, who aren't superstars, but who have been around uh, winning teams. Uh, they're they're low maintenance. Uh, they're professional, and in a lot of cases, uh, they have something to prove. Uh, whether it's uh, Cheryl or Baker, you know, they want to show they're healthy, they're effective. Whether they, you know want to be an everyday outfielder or, in Baker's case, uh, reestablish themselves as a starting pitcher. Um, they really have uh, a lot of opportunities there, and that's kind of the dy dynamic they have now, and they have a, found what everyone thinks is a pretty good manager, even though his career record isn't very good after a 101-loss season. But uh, Dale Swaim has really set a tone in that clubhouse, and they truly believe that he's going to be their manager uh, when they are um, contending again. I don't want to put you on the spot too much, and I'm not going to ask kind of like a timetable for success, 
But we all know Theo reversed the curse in Boston, won two World Series. It may not be immediate in Chicago, and it doesn't look like it's immediate. But in your opinion, do you think Theo will eventually succeed? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think um, not guaranteeing a World Series uh, by any means, but I do think you know what you saw kind of, we were just talking about it in 2010, um, there was an inevitable kind of regression. That window was closing for that kind of group, and then another one's going to have to open. And I think internally they look at 2015 as when a lot of these players – uh, these younger players start to come together and start, and Anthony Rizzo starts entering his prime. Edwin Jackson, as we said, was young enough to where he can still be effective then. Samarja is the number one starter. Um, I think the biggest, the two biggest things for the Cubs in terms of whether or not, whether or not they're going to be, have that foundation of sustained success that they kind of talk about and some, I think some fans maybe roll their eyes at that statement, but really the two keys are, do they renovate Wrigley Field? How does that go? And then what happens with their TV rights after the 2014 season when they can opt out of the WGN deal? Because uh, they really need to – they can't miss on those two deals because that's really going to bankroll um, you know, their next – when they do start making splashes in free agency and you know, building uh, a contending team. That certainly makes sense. And the Cubs are an interesting team to watch. I enjoy watching guys like Starlin Castro, Anthony Rizzo, Darwin Barney, some young guys who really have a lot of potential. What do you expect from these guys in 2013, the younger ones? Well, it's funny. One of the first days uh, Starlin Castro was in camp, you know, he said, you know, I saw Darwin Barney win a gold glove. I want one. Uh, and then he, he was talking about Rizzo and said he – he can win one too. You know, he's like, I want an infield where, you know, three of us are winning gold gloves together. And it's an interesting idea. I mean, Sterling Castro, it's going to be his fourth year in the big leagues, and he's still, um, you know, as Theo would say, you know, he's younger than some of the names you'll see on these top prospect lists. So um, I think they want more focus as Starlin. Um, they think more power is going to come eventually, maybe not uh, this year. Uh, Anthony Rizzo a year ago was still kind of a question mark uh, in terms of looking at what he did in San Diego and would he adjust to his new swing and he did and at this point Swain's booking him down for putting him down for 30 homers on 100 RBI and uh, Darren Barney is a real steady steady guy both on the field and the clubhouse and I think you'll start to see these guys in their own ways. Uh, become the leaders uh, of this Cubs team. Before I let you go, Pat, you kind of made this transition for me. You mentioned the age, and he might be younger than some prospects. Four Cubs made our top 101 prospects on Monday here at Baseball Prospectus. What did you make of our rankings, and what does that say for the future of the Cubs? Yeah, I think um, you know the Cubs are very you know aware of kind of the perception of kind of what they've done and how interested their fans are uh, in kind of this next wave. And it really is all part of uh, their narrative when they're preaching patience and the plan and stuff like that. You know, they can point to uh, someone like Vizcaino who um, I believe he was 
52nd or something like that on your list. And he's a guy that they got basically by signing Paul Mahalam, um, kind of coaching him up with some of their game plans with pitching coach Chris Fazio, and then uh, flipping him at the trade deadline. And there was kind of a Ryan Dempster almost trade to the Atlanta Braves in between, but they were very happy to get a guy um, who I believe is his 21, 22 years old now, and uh, they're willing to take the risk on uh, Tommy John surgery. And, uh, you know, they think if everything goes right, um, he's not going to pitch in the Cactus League, but they think it's not out of the question where you could see him at Wrigley Field uh, late this year. So clearly they have their list of prospects, and that's kind of what they're building around now. Patrick Mooney, he's a must-follow on Twitter, at CSN Mooney. Pat, thanks so much for joining us tonight to talk Cubs and enjoy covering the team uh, in 2013. Hey, thanks, no problem. Anytime.